Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Laity Podcast. This is Andrew, and uh, we have episode 15 coming your way. A recent conversation we had with Bonnie Christian, who is the author of A Flexible Faith, and uh, looking forward to playing that for you. We had a great conversation with her. Um, But before I do, wanted to give you some insight into kind of where the podcast is going and a couple of housekeeping items uh, and new initiatives we're we're pushing starting uh, today. Um, So as many of you know, we launched this podcast after a number of iterations uh, back in early 2018. I want to say it might have been March that our first episode actually aired. And of course, we're 15 or so deep at this point and have a number of really cool interviews lined up uh, with folks that many of you will know uh, in, in the next couple of months, but decided that we wanted to take some time to actually elevate the quality of our recordings. As you guys know, uh, I record locally here in, in Atlanta, and typically Stephen is joining us along with a guest uh, via Skype, and uh, we don't have any sort of fancy equipment. I mean, we're literally just capturing the audio from a Skype conversation and wanted to invest a little bit uh, in some additional gear just to upgrade the equipment, nothing overly fancy, just to give Stephen a bit of a better setup and help him in terms of quality um, to, to be more on par with kind of a microphone, you know, recorded sound here. Um, and, and on top of that, in terms of cost, Stephen and I, you know, have fronted kind of front end costs of all the equipment we bought on the onset, a few hundred dollars worth of gear. Uh, and then there's also then a monthly, uh, about a $14 a month subscription fee that we pay to Podbean for hosting the, the podcast. And so we decided after an, a, a bit of thought that we wanted to attempt to raise $500 um, over the next couple of months from our listeners, from the many of you that have supported us uh, and have been just in our corner from day one. Those of you who maybe just started listening a couple of months ago or a couple of weeks ago, and you're, you're liking where this is going, for anyone that feels compelled to give, we opened up a GoFundMe uh, with a $500 goal on it. And our goal, um, not attaching a time frame or a time limit to it, but hoping really over the next month um, that we can raise that $500, which will again go towards paying off a year's subscription on Podbean so that we can continue to have unlimited space hosting podcasts uh, and then upgrading some of our equipment, uh, namely a microphone and an interface and a couple of other pieces for, for Stephen. Um, and, and hopefully that'll really just improve the listening experience for everyone and also experimenting with some new ways to record guests. Um, really looking forward again to, to a number of guests we have in the pipeline. Thank you so much for supporting. A link to the GoFundMe will be in the show notes of this episode. And if for whatever reason uh, you aren't able to access that but you would like to give, uh, feel free to reach out to us directly, uh, either via our, our cell if you have our number or laity podcast, that's L-A-I-T-Y podcast at gmail.com. And uh, we'll point you in the right direction. Whether you have a dollar or 20 or 100, um, hoping we can come together as a community here, raise $500, upgrade the gear, upgrade the quality of the listening experience, and continue to move forward. Um, In fact, with a new series that we're kicking off here uh, in September. So stay tuned uh, for more of that. Thank you all in advance for your generosity. And enjoy this episode with Bonnie.
Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 15 of the Laity Podcast. Really good to have you with us and uh, very excited about having a special guest with us tonight. We have Bonnie Christian joining us from Minnesota. Is that right? That is right. St. Paul. St. Paul. So are you actually, so they call it the Twin Cities, right? So are you actually like in St. Paul or the other Twin City? No, I am in St. Paul. Um, usually where pe- when people get mixed, get those mixed up um, or one is lumped into the other, it, people will say Minneapolis instead of St. Paul, instead of vice versa. Um, the thing we say locally is that like less than being twins, it's more like St. Paul is the sister who got married and had some kids and Minneapolis is like still out there partying it up. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> is St. Well, Paul a little bit bitter about that? Um, St. Paul, I think, uh, there's bumper stickers that people have. I don't have one though. I, I wouldn't reject one if it were offered to me that says like, keep St. Paul, small or keep St. Paul quiet or something like that. <laughs> I think most people who, who live in St. Paul, you know, are, it's nice to have Minneapolis close, but I don't want to be there. Yeah. With you. Yeah. With you. Well, J- Bonnie, I'm going to let you introduce yourself more fully in a moment, but we're really excited to have to have Bonnie on, not only to talk to her broadly, but um, in, in a bit of a focused way about her fantastic relatively new book, I guess, earlier this year um, called A Flexible Faith, Rethinking What It Means to Follow Jesus Today. Stephen and I both read the book. Uh, Bonnie graciously sent it our way. And uh, I'm, I'm excited. I really, I thought this was awesome, both in terms of content and in terms of formatting, which we're going to, uh, we're going to, we're going to get to. Um, but Bonnie, I understand you're a writer, um, not only uh, of this book, um, but even more broadly. And so maybe you could give our listeners just a taste of uh, what, what you do kind of professionally from a day job perspective. Sure. Um, so most of the writing that I do on a weekly basis is more news and politics focused. Um, my biggest role is I am the weekend editor for a news magazine called The Week. Um, so I, I write a weekly column for them. And then on the weekends, I, I run the website. It's just me. Um, wow. It's a, a little bit terrifying because there's like no one else editing me before I, you know, send out emails to like 100,000 people and stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I run the, the website on the weekend. And then I'm also a foreign policy fellow um, for a, a relatively new um think tank called defense priorities. And so I write, uh, foreign policy columns and they place them at various news outlets. Um, and then I do some other editing and the occasional one-off piece here or there. And that's what most of my, my week consists of. And also I try to be very online for the sake of book marketing, which I hate, um, but that is what I, they tell me I have to do. So, um, just a lot of retweeting. Is that basically yeah, like how the, it boils down? the Twitter, apparently Instagram stories is like a big thing. Got so it. I'm like, oh, wow. That now, um, the blogging, you know, um, yeah. So that's like just part of my job in perpetuity so that people will hopefully read my book. Awesome. Fantastic. Well, appreciate that that intro. And we, we like to ask all our guests just kind of as we kick off, um, obviously, you write about theological topics, you write a ton in this book about theological diversity, which is something Stephen and I have talked about 
since day one on this podcast and space for that. And we'll get into the content, but we do like to ask everyone to kind of give us a little bit of a, a little bit of a history, kind of spiritual comeuppance and um, curious kind of the tradition you came up in, if any, and uh, you know, maybe a, a kind of a flyby version of that. And we can segue that into uh, your latest work here. Sure. So um, I moved around a lot growing up. I think it's like, I haven't always have to do the count, but I want to say it's like eight or nine times before I graduated from high school. Um, And so where we went to church sort of depended on what was available where we were. Sometimes we were in fairly small towns, so, you know, limited options. Um, But usually we were in non-denominational um, or Baptist churches and not a lot of theological difference between between the two in, in the case of what I experienced, usually just like, you know, different governance structures. Um, so that that was most of, of my background um, growing up. And then in college, sort of by happenstance, I ended up going to a Church of the Brethren school. And that was sort of my first major contact with a peace church tradition. Um, and that didn't really have like a huge impact on me at the time because the way at least brethren colleges seem to work is it's not, um, it's not quite as visibly denominational or even as visibly Christian as sort of your stereotypical Christian college. Um, for example, neither professors nor students have to sign a state, sign a statement of faith. Um, but there was that undercurrent there and, and that was sort of my first exposure. And so then in the years after college, as I was, um, you know, exploring my own faith and, and going through some of the, the issues and, and, um, thought processes that I talk about in the book, uh, I ended up in the Mennonite tradition. And so that was where my husband and I are today. Um, we've been a part of a Mennonite church for, uh, coming up on five years now, um, and expect to be there for the foreseeable future. Obviously, as, as you all can see from the video, we're not old order Mennonites. I don't, you know, wear the the dresses and the, the head coverings and the buggies and stuff, but, um, yeah. Awesome. Very helpful. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. So what uh what led you to write this book, Bonnie? You know, it was uh it was a couple of things and what I usually go back to is sort of two audiences that I had in mind and I, I sort of allude to these in the book but maybe don't describe them super explicitly. Um but one is is Christians who are um who are good with, with where they are, with their denomination, with their like place in their congregation, all that sort of thing. Um, but when we're comfortable like that, I think it can become very easy to, um, become ignorant, um, and ignorant of, and maybe even suspicious of Christians in other denominational contexts. Um, and especially, you know, the bigger the divide becomes, uh, you know, if you're a Protestant, as we're getting to Catholicism or Eastern Orthodoxy, there's this, um, you know, large historical and, and doctrinal gap. And and so we start to wonder, you know, are they really even Christians? Can I work with them at this food drive? I don't know. Um, and so a, a big part of it, I'm sorry if you can hear my dogs upstairs right now, <laughs> big okay. part of it, um, was that audience and, and writing for, for those people to just provide like an introduction to other Christians who are, are, you know, faithful followers of Jesus, fellow Christians, part of the body of Christ, but, but different from us. Uh, and then the other half was for Christians who are, are not comfortable in the way that I described. Maybe they're going through a season of doubt. 
um, questioning, deconstruction, whatever you want to call it, um, and are wondering, can I even stay in the faith? Can I even remain a Christian? And so for those readers, um, I really wanted to provide a, a super accessible resource um, to sort of guide um, the exploration that hopefully comes after that season of questioning so that um, you can see what else is out there. And maybe you don't go back to the context you were in before, but, but the church is really big. And so maybe you find another context. And can I ask how, sorry, Steve, I probably cut you off, but did that come out of a personal, like for you personally to be the person to put pen to paper around what I think is you just described is incredibly relevant and probably can, can touch a lot of us. Did that come out of a specific season for you where things, whether, you know, the wheels kind of fell off or you had particular folks influencing you heavily and what was the inception personally? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I did go through a time of questioning, maybe like five or six issues in particular, but it all sort of happened in such like slow motion almost. Um, it never at the time really felt like a crisis. Um, I think, you know, maybe if I'd been thinking about and questioning all these five or six things at once, it would have been like, what is happening? But it was it was very one by one. Um, and so it just sort of felt like, oh, I'm gradually working through these different things. Um, so that contributed to it, but I would say more than that, um, one is that, as I, I mentioned in the, the dedication, my husband, Peter, I had, um, he had had some questions about hell while we were dating. Um, and while I was writing the hell chapter, I actually went back and, and looked at the email exchange we'd had about that. And what I wrote for him then obviously was, you know, much less polished and shorter, but it was, it was very similar to what I was writing in the, the chapter on hell for the book. Um, and so it was sort of like a precursor of this model of, um, you know, simple explanation of the options with like some resources to dig deeper. Um, so that was sort of in the back of my mind. And then, um, related the, my, my personal blog and website, um, for a long time. And it used to be more than it is now, but it has like this ask a question function where people can send in a brief question, um, about, you know, some political issue or the news of the day or something. And I would write like a public answer. Um, and so that sort of had me thinking in that Q and a mindset or that explainer mindset, if that makes sense. And that contributed, I think, to the, the style of the book a lot. Yeah. So, so for our listeners, you know, when you, when you get the book, it's, um, it's, it's 18 questions, right? I, don't know uh, I really should it. know. I yeah, want to say 18 chapters. It's 18 yeah. chapters. It's and 18 then, chapters, yeah. but the 18th chapter is the one about choosing a church. 17 yeah. theological questions. So you go through these different chapters. Uh, each one is covering a, a, a question that I think, um, or really any one of them can kind of be the entry point into that sort of deconstructive path or whatever. Uh, and, and, you, and you lay out these different options. And then what I love is that you also provide sort of sprinkled throughout these interviews with real people in in these different communities. What was that like for you going out there and, and interviewing so many people from different communities? Well, I have to confess, I didn't go out there. Those were entirely by email. Um, that counts. I'll give it to you. <laughs> um, it, was, it was really fascinating. It was fascinating in terms of um, in some cases, like the personal connections that led to me being in touch with one, you know, interview subject or another. Um, I think the most, the craziest one was the, um, Latin American base community member, um, who's down in El Salvador. 
And I got in touch with him by, if I remember correctly, it was I contacted a journalist who lived somewhere in the Pacific Northwest, and she recommended a nonprofit in New York State who pointed me to, I want to say, like a priest in Africa who knew this guy in El Salvador. Like it was this crazy, like multi-continental thing. Wow. And so then I, I got in touch with him, um, but I don't speak Spanish. I took French because I thought it was fancier. Um, so I was like writing him and reading his stuff through Google Translate. So it was just like this insane combination of modern technology and like weird church connections. Um, wow. Yeah. So, but I, I love those as well, just in terms of, um, you know, a lot of those are things that I could have described to you, but it would not have been nearly as like compelling as hearing these people introduce themselves. Yeah. I love that. And just for our listeners who don't have the book in front, I want to rattle off a couple of these, Stephen, if that's okay. So like Go some of the it, chapters, yeah. um, what is it? So, so again, the chapters are formatted by questions and that's peppered with Q and a from, from these different, uh, you know, diverse Christians all over the world. What does it mean to say the Bible is God's word? Um, how did we get here? How does Jesus' dying mean that we can be saved? Why do we have to get baptized? What does the Lord's Supper mean? Are gay relationships sinful? Um, can Christians be violent? Uh, once you're saved, is it permanent? I mean, there's just, does God really torment people in hell forever? And then again, peppered with these fantastic interviews from, you know, we have someone from the charismatic movement, from Messianic Judaism, liberation theology, Orthodox churches, Quakerism, um, and Amish community. So anyway, for those of you who have asked, some of those are more, um, again, I think, uh, and as Stephen mentioned, you then lay out these different options basically, um, for, for yeah, and different kind of interpretations on, on the subject, which leads us to kind of another question, you know, we, we wanted to cover with you specifically, you know, obviously the whole premise of the book is that, you know, Christianity is very much a theological diverse stream that there are people that disagree and we, they're still Christians and that's okay. And they're, they're not throwing out the Bible or throwing out, you know, discipleship, but rather expressing it in a different way. How do you respond when, when, and if this has happened, folks kind of push back or around the unity conversation where it's, well, well, we really need to be unified and like-minded to quote, I think it's first Peter three, eight, we need to be like-minded and, you know, we should all agree and there should be no divisions among us. And, um, you know, you need to be of the same mind and the same judgment, which is first Corinthians one and uh, agree with one another in Romans 12. Like you do see this throughout the epistles. Um, how do you respond when you get that kind of pushback if you have, and I am curious if you have, you know, I, I haven't gotten that much. I think, um, I, I always say that I, I feel like I sort of live in a, a weird bubble on the internet in that for the like degree of controversy about a lot of the political and, and even theological things that I write about, um, I, I don't get a lot of um, like angry messages. It does happen occasionally. And of course, I don't read like the dregs of the Facebook comments. But in terms of people really going out of their way to to say how terrible they think I am or how wrong I am, it's, it's not that often. Um but in terms of this question, what I would say is, uh, so in the introduction, I shared a, a model of thinking about theology that's not original to me. Um, I actually heard it first from Greg Boyd, a theologian out here in Minnesota who wrote the foreword. Um, and so he calls it the concentric circles of theology. And so the idea is you picture um, circles like the target logo or a bullseye. 
um, as a way of uh, putting different questions in theology in perspective. So at the very core of the circles um, is the person of Jesus. And that's um, Jesus himself. It's not, you know, our beliefs about him. It's not our, our ideas about him, um, but the, the person of Jesus Christ, God incarnate. Um, and that's, you know, really the anchor of the entire faith of Christianity um, and something that certainly anyone who, who claims to be a Christian is a, a follower of Christ. So then the, the smallest circle surrounding the center um, is what we could call dogma. And these are super basic beliefs. Um, really, if someone said, you know, like, give me a, a, a really brief definition of what is Christianity, dogma is the sort of stuff that would come up. And so um, it's the, the simple stuff about, like, you know, who God is, what he's done, what he wants from us. In the book, I suggest the Apostles' Creed as a good summary of dogma. And then the next biggest circle um, is what we could call doctrine. And that's usually like explanations of dogma or explanations of um, how things in the dogma category work. Um, and that's the sort of thing that divides denominations. And I would say that that's the bulk of what I talk about in the book. And then the final circle, the biggest circle, would be opinions. Um, and those are sort of lesser issues that can coexist within a single denomination, maybe a single congregation things that we might, you know, disagree about, but nobody's really getting too worked up. So on the subjects of unity, what I would say is that um, we need to be united at the core of those circles. Um, we need to be united on the subject of Jesus, and we need, need to be united on those basic matters of dogma. Um, when we're, the further we're getting out, the more we're moving through doctrine to opinion, um, the less I would say that that's the sort of unity that the New Testament writers had in mind. You cited First uh, Corinthians, for example. Um, when Paul is writing to that congregation, he's, uh, and I know this only because we're we're going through First uh, Corinthians in my church right now. Um, he's uh, he's writing to a, a congregation that's had that he founded, but then since then they've had, um, I believe, Peter and also Apollos come through, and there's mm -hmm. theological differences between Peter and Apollos. Um, and Paul is not, you know, saying, don't listen to them, don't, you know, follow their teaching. Um, he's calling them to core unity around Christ. And he again and again comes back to, you know, we, we're united in Christ. Um, and that points to that, that core of the circle. And then the last thing I'd say on this subject is that, you know, I think the unity of the church, the, the complete unity of the church is going to be a, a great joy of the resurrection. And that is something we should aim for, um, and, you know, there's a sense in which the, the diversity is not something to be celebrated um, insofar as it's division, um, the, the, the diversity of theology, to be clear. <laughs> um, but uh, it is where we are right now. And since that, that is happening and we're not going to have that complete unity anytime soon, I think we need to learn to deal with it with grace and, and productively and with forbearance and love for each other. I love it. I love it. Thank you know, you. <laughs> thinking about, thank you. Thank you. Um, I grew up in a tradition where like the, um, the de so de this idea of denominations, I don't want to go off too far here, but in talking about unity, <laughs> Stephen is, is laughing because it's what I do in, in this, in this conversation about unity and kind of, and, and for, for me growing up denominations and the thousands of denominations was, was not evidence of, well, was simply evidence of people essentially 
creating a story around who God was and who Jesus was that was most comfortable to them and essentially scratching their itching ears and 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 saying what their itching ears wanted to hear. And so if you look around, look at all these denominations, clearly these people are just catering to their own preferences, needs, desires. And so it's evidence of disunity. And what we need to do is, but the good news is, you know, we happen to have the, 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 the right answer. Um, and so therefore, you know, here's, here's how we should all be unified is essentially you should all, everyone out there needs to become like us. And what's interesting now, and, and there's often a lot of talk. I, I experienced this with Christians and all sorts of around, like, we just need to unify, AKA like consolidate. Like there needs to be yeah. a mass consolidation, like, uh, like in business, like we just need to go purchase out all the competition and create one vertically and horizontally integrated church. Um, and that would be the solution and that would be pleasing to God. And I guess I'm just kind of sharing this personally. I, I think this kind of diversity and the denominations can be an actual, uh, an enrichment to the church. And that it's an opportunity, I think, for us to see the, the God work amidst the diversity. Again, there are core issues um, that need to be agreed upon, but it's just interesting because I feel like the unity, I feel like often does just boil down to a mindset. Like yeah. I might be in a different denomination, but am I open-minded and open-handed enough to still consider you a brother and a sister? And if the answer is yes, what richness that we get all, you know, all these different opinions and, and, and preferences and context in the church. Um, I guess that was more for our listeners than anything else, but that's just kind of where I'm at. And I would imagine that's something you've experienced having talked to people from all these different backgrounds. Yeah. I mean, I, I think especially in terms of like, um, you know, we talk about faith and practice, but especially in terms of like the practice side of things and um, different sort of lifestyles of faith almost, which is a, a big part of why I wanted to include those interviews you guys mentioned. Um, the the diversity, I think, does have have value in, in that we're we're learning from um, other ways of doing things that have developed things that that may never come up in our own context because of cultural or, or theological reasons or, or whatever the case may be. Um and yeah, I, I understand the desire for unity. And, and like you, I grew up um, in denominations or in contexts where it, clearly those other people are wrong. Um, right. But I think we have to maintain a, a degree of humility just in terms of, you know, obviously we all think we have everything right all the time. Everyone thinks that because if you if you thought you had something wrong, you would change your mind to the right thing and then you'd be completely right again. Um, so we all think we're completely right all the time. And I think we just have to like as much as we're holding fast to the thing that we think is most plausibly the truth and like standing up for that and all that good stuff, um, just maintain and a certain like humility and awareness of it is pretty unlikely that I personally am the one who's completely right. I mean, it's not impossible. Right. On, on every subject, like most right, of the time. Somebody right. presumably is completely right, but it's statistically improbable that it's me. <laughs> Yeah. You know, I, I used to, I mean, I, I really, I still kind of, you know, I, I find the, I don't know, sort of the, the, the remnants of it in my, in, you know, in my, in my mind sometimes where um, I could think back to sort of earlier on in my faith where these issues would be like the disagreements at the different denominations, like you said, Andrew, they're, they're not evidence of unity. They're more, they're just, they're just really just issues of either ignorance or sin. Like people either right. just don't know, right. or they're just, they're just, you know, involved in some in rebellion or, or you know scratching their own ears and so then when i would find myself in in um 
in situations where I'm surrounded by other people um, that are not from my tradition, uh, it becomes really hard, I think, to just to open myself up to genuine relationship because you, you I keep feeling like, you know, okay, well, you know, it, like my, it, it's hard, I guess, just to, to be in you that place. You have to be on guard the whole right. time. Yes. You can't Some be generous. Like corrupt you. Yeah. Yeah. There, I've, yeah. I've, 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 I felt that. And, and that wasn't like, you know, somebody in, uh, indoctrinated me with that. It's just, I think it's just kind of, was just there for me. And it, and it, uh, it doesn't go away easy. That's for sure. Um, you know, Sorry, go ahead. What you, I no, 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 I wasn't saying. Um, I'd be curious just here, you know, you know, because a lot of times, like you, Bonnie, you bring up a good point. This idea of like getting corrupted or 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 um, you know, not wanting to to be tainted. What do you do when people push back and this and they talk about false doctrine and they bring up all of Paul's, you know, uh, concerns about false teachers? Because I can, I mean, a lot of these questions you bring up, um. And at one time for me, were these some of these were sort of just in the realm of like, oh yeah, that's somebody who believed that, that that's a false teacher, right? Uh, right. If there's a lot more space now, uh, if, of course, but I'd, I'd be curious how you respond to that. Yeah, um, it's tricky. I mean, there are there are definitely perspectives in there that I think are like deeply wrong um, to the point that if I were somehow persuaded that that was what was true about God, I might say, well, if that's the case, like I get that this is all true, but I'm still not going to be a Christian because I don't want to be in on this. Mm -hmm. Um, that said, um, I think there, the perspectives that I include are, I, I determine as being safely within the bounds of orthodoxy, which is to say that, um, there, there, They've been accepted by, you know, large portions of the Church Universal by people who are, you know, clearly not heretical on the core issues. They're not denying the divinity of Christ. They're, um, you know, affirming all the basic stuff. Um, they're, they're viewpoints that don't contradict sort of that core of, you know, the person of Christ and the basic dogma. Um, and, yeah, it's tough. And I get why, why people... You know, especially when you're dealing with like younger people or more immature Christians, you want to sort of hide that stuff away and say, like, just don't even mess with that because we're telling you the true thing. Um, and, you know, don't you don't want to uh, get confused or, or get distracted or get corrupted by by these wrong perspectives. Um, and I think one answer that I like to bring up is that um it's great if, if that, like, you know, if you're so confident in, in your theology and so, you know, comfortable and convicted of it, um, that there's, you know, nothing more than a sort of an intellectual curiosity about these other perspectives. Um, but if you do have, um, you know, friends, family members, fellow congregants, whatever the case may be, probably some of them are going to have questions about these things. Um, and, and if you've been diligently, like, hiding all these other options away and, and saying ours is the only way. Well, then if they can't accept your way anymore with, with intellectual honesty and, and, you know, really sincere faith, they're going to leave. Um, yeah, that's exactly and, what happens. Totally. Yeah. Um, yeah. so yeah, it's not ideal, but it, it, that's the reality. But is it more important to have someone belong to your exact denomination and share all your same beliefs or is it more important for them to still be following jesus and to me as much as it's messy the answer to that is clear 
you you brought up an interesting point in um in the book. You you mentioned that I guess there was a I don't, this just kind of came to my head. I'm I'm like I'm I'm rambling here, but the. You bring in the book that there's a difference between how the the church is 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 growing and spreading and and the, and the particular um, uh, like sides of the argument that people are landing on are are it, it it pans out differently in like the global south than it does like in the west. Um, do you why why do you think that is and and because one thing I've been thinking about is it, it does kind of seem like the sort of in vogue thing right now, like the whole the deconstruction and the, you know, um, picking apart questions and then trying to re- remake this, this vision of God. It sounds, it seems somewhat to be like a, I don't know, like a, a, a luxury. Um, like, yeah. The, the church is so, you know, as most people know, the, the church in the West, especially in Europe, but also increasingly in America is shrinking and it's growing extremely rapidly in the global South. So Asia, Africa, Latin America. Um, and the, the type of church that's growing there is um, whether Catholic or Protestant, Protestant, it tends to be pretty charismatic, um, tends to be pretty traditional on like social issues like women and homosexuality. Um and yeah, they're not they're not having the same sort of discussions that we're having, um, which I I don't I don't know exactly you know why that is. Um, I'm not <laughs> that much of like a I don't even know ethnologist, social scientist, something. Um, but it it does I think for me at least, and and part of why I, I brought it up in the book is it sort of puts a a, a check for me on these arguments that we're having or puts them in a certain perspective. Um, yeah. As much as we're, you know, we're so wrapped up in it and they are important questions, but it seems like we should notice that they're not questions. Most Christians in most of the world are asking. Totally. Yeah. Cause we can become just as like, you know, once you, once you've deconstructed or whatever, you can become just as dogmatic about your new opinions. And then that just cuts you off from, huge portions of the church. Yeah. That's really good. Bonnie, how about, how about you, you personally, so you cover a lot of subjects here. Um, and you do talk about in the book, some of the shifts in, in, in many of the, not in every single chapter, but in many of them, you do say, Hey, here's my view on, on this subject. Yeah, It's in about a third. Okay, great. Yeah. And I, I really appreciate that. Um, for you, even both in the book and then maybe even more broadly, what what are some of the core, call them issues or points um, or subjects where you have made a shift um, pretty significantly over the years? And and not only what were those subjects, but what sort of what kind of put you over the edge into sort of the camp that you identify with today? Yeah. So the ones that I mentioned in the book are are, are pretty much the ones that I would point to. Um, those are, are sort of the things that. Uh, I, I guess, care about the most or have put the most thought and questioning and research into. Um, a big one, as I mentioned earlier, when I was talking about um, my background was the question of war and violence. Um, mm-hmm. And that was something I sort of came to circuitously. Um, I sort of started on the, the political side almost um, with being critical of a lot of the, the foreign policy that we have. Um, and so that led me to thinking about like, okay, what would be like my theological perspective on this stuff? 
Um, and so that was a, a, a big thing that I thought through for a while before sort of saying, you know, I'm willing to, to make that leap and to, to like commit to nonviolence. Um, and I talk about that in the book that I think a, a big part of what delayed me in making that decision was I just really didn't want what to me now is the the obvious reading of things like, you know, love your enemies to be the actual meaning of it. Um, and so I'd be like, right. oh, this is so, I don't know, this is confusing. Maybe that's not what Jesus really meant. I should research it some more. And finally, I just had to be like, no, that's what he meant. Um, so... <laughs> So that was a big one. Um, the question of women's roles in ministry. Um, I, I grew up in uh, pretty conservative situations um, where women were definitely not preachers. Um, so that was a, and I didn't change my mind on that until after college or maybe sort of starting to think about it in like my senior year. Um, I don't know that I would have written this book. If I, if I hadn't changed my mind on that, it might've been a little bit too much, um, exercising of, of theological authority there. <laughs> um, and then I guess the, the third big one that I would probably point to is, um, doctrines of the atonement. And that wasn't so much a, a changing my mind as, um, because so the atonement questions of, you know, how like the salvation thing actually works. Um, I didn't really know, and I think a lot of Christians don't really know, that there are distinct theories of that, that there are different perspectives, um, and we tend to sort of, like, sloppily mix and match them. Um, right. And so yeah, it was a change, I guess, in that I, you know, sort of landed on a position, but it's not like I could have explained to you a coherent viewpoint before. Got it. And how were all the – were there any of the – but then there's three specifically – in your community context, I mean, is this where, are, are you sitting in a context where most folks kind of agreed with where you landed or was there any sort of friction with, with you making those transitions? So the bulk of that happened when, um, I was living in a, a smallish town, um, in Virginia and there were not a whole lot of church options. Um, and so I was going to a, a local, um, non-denominational Bible fellowship. Um, they disagreed with me on a number. I, or I disagreed with them on a number of things. Um, and to some extent, part of the reason why I went there is they, they were comfortable with a degree of diversity within their congregation. Um, the lead pastor was a Calvinist and then the associate pastor was an Arminian and they coexisted. Oh, wow. Yeah. Cool. And there was a, there was a mix in the denomination as well. Um, but I mean, on things like, um, roles of women, uh, how to engage in politics. Um, I don't know that I really got so much atonement stuff while I was there, but definitely violence. I, I don't know that there was anyone there, um, who, who agreed with me. Um, and yeah, so that, that's the church actually that I mentioned in the, the choosing a church, uh, chapter that, um, you know, we had these big differences and yet it was still in many ways, a, a, a good and healthy and productive, um, experience for me to be at that congregation and to be, you know, serving with them. Um, yeah, I'm glad that I was there. I also knew that I was not going to be there long-term. Right. And so that made the decision easier. Mm -hmm. 
can we talk about that, Steve? I know you had some questions around oh, that. Man. Yeah, <laughs> sure. I, I love that. That's like my favorite section of the book. I really liked it. Because um, having having covered all these different uh, topics and all the different points, now you kind of give this really, you give this good framework for how to think about choosing a church. Um, and the thing that that just has uh, that sort of has been on my mind as I was reading this, and um, ha- have you read um, Bonhoeffer's Life Together? Uh, I probably shouldn't admit this, but I've started it like three times and not gotten through it. Dude, which I feel like says something bad about me. No, I love because he's fact, like I a modern that. saint, but yeah, his, his maybe it's a, sometimes. Man, he's, yeah, he's, I love it because he's got this point where basically he he says that, that my my favorite quote I think in the whole book is where he says that God hates visionary dreamers. <laughs> he's very <laughs> black and white, but what he's getting at is this idea that like. That our our idyllic community, our, our 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 vision of what everything could be, is exactly the thing that keeps us from having the community that we're intended to have. Um, and in your book, you in one of your interviews, you mentioned somebody. Uh, I think it was one of the nuns, and you in, uh, they discussed the, this this concept of a, a vow of stability and you're sort of committing oneself to be in a place. And, and inevitably, the, the the struggle is, how do you know? When you just need to suck it up, buttercup, like dig in. This is this is where God has placed you. These are the people. This is where you're going to grow. And when um, it's actually time to make a transition and sort of uh, and, and, and make a shift. I don't know if there's any blanket rules on that. Um, one thing that I would point to is sort of like, what is your immediate, realistic, near-term alternative if you leave? Um, like, you know, assuming this is not, you know, a straight up cult, they're not like abusing you or something, you know, assuming this is just like a normal situation where you're not so lining up with the theology anymore or whatever. Um, if the alternative is you're just totally out of community and you're like trying to do me and Jesus podcast church, like then no, probably you shouldn't be leaving. Um, me and Jesus podcast. Church. And that being said, for all our listeners, we are starting. That's the right. three of us are going into business. Um, if, but I mean, if the alternative is you know there there are other there's another community that you're going to get into, um, or you know explore and probably get into. Well, then maybe yeah, maybe it, you can do that. Um, but I think it also like it so much depends on the particulars of the situation. Like, why are you leaving? Um, what do have you talked? Have you like actually talked to the people in this congregation and said, hey, these are things that are making me think about leaving. What do you think about that? Because um, yeah. I think it's very easy to just, you know, like disappear and do a is it an Irish exit? Is that the quick exit? Irish goodbye. I think so. Yeah, exactly. Irish goodbye. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it it's it's tough to say. But the other thing, and something that I I can't remember if I really explicitly said it in that chapter. Um, it's a big part of sort of the the next book project that I hope to do. Um, is we move for a lot of reasons. You know, we move for our children's school districts. We move for a job. We move for college. We move to be near family. Why would you not move to be near a good church? Like, why would you not move for a congregation? Mm-hmm. And if where you're living is, you know, there's really no good options at all. Um, if it's remotely financially feasible, maybe think about moving for a congregation. Find one that 
you want to be a part of and go make that happen. I love that. You know, one of the things that I think you're, you're, you're mentioning of the Jesus me, Jesus podcast church. I mean, you're bringing up a good state, a, a, a true, there's some truth to the stereotype. Um, Oh my gosh. Yes. It, does, it does kind of seem like it's becoming more, I guess I see a lot of people or I hear a lot of people that will, they'll leave the regular church and then like would have, like they'll, they'll come and they'll, you know, hang out, have, you know, bread and wine in their house. And with, but, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I'll fold bread and wine in your house, whatever. But, um, I guess the challenge is like, if we just sort of remove ourselves and then, you know, the solution is basically, let me just surround myself with everybody who's like me and no one who offends me. Like how, how does that really demonstrate the gospel any more than, than, you know? Yes. Yeah. The podcasts I think do have like podcast sermons that a lot of churches do now, I think do have one advantage for this scenario in that um, if you have a congregation that's like decent like it's not, you know, your ideal church. It's not where you super want to be, but it's it's decent. Um, you can stay there and like really plug into and serve that community and then sort of supplement the theological content with the podcast sermons. And that was partly what I did when I was in yeah. the, the church that I was talking about. Um, so, you know, you can still be getting um, that theological growth without just isolating yourself and having, quote unquote, church in your living room. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, the, I I, uh, I think Steve and I can both relate to that. Like just getting that content. Maybe it's not, you're not going to get the content necessarily on Sunday morning where you are, but you can kind of go anywhere online and find, kind of find all of that. It's, it's interesting because and I'd be curious your observation just with the feedback you've gotten and even what you see in your church um, and, and, and even with peers of yours, I feel like people we live, we live in a kind of choose whatever you want, customize how you want it as fast as you want it, whenever you want it culture, as yeah. we all know. And we, lo- I love that. I love that about our, I mean, right. I can hate on it, but it's just <laughs> great. It's perfect. Um, but, but at the same time, when you, you know, you apply that to a religious context, I think the, the kind of classic semi straw man, postmodern critique, right. Is that, Oh, well, you're just, you know, you, you're not willing to really, <clears throat> excuse me, plug in where you are and you just want something fast and easy. And with people that you're comfortable with, Um, I, I have found, I'd be curious if your observation is similar, that, that there are plenty of Christians, particularly like in our sort of peer group that really are thirsty for like actual tangible flesh and blood community and like wanting Mm -hmm. to actually be working something out in a community. Like it's great to do the podcast thing. And you always have a large, a large chunk of people that don't really want to have anything to do with people and real messy relationships and just kind of want the, the content. But, um, I feel like there's also a, a significant group of folks that are actually desiring to have that, again, a tangible, messy community relationship. I say all that to say, that's been my experience and that, that there are a chunk of folks. So there are a good you know group of people that are, that are desiring that. Um, curious, like, are you see? like, I feel like there is a rise in that. Are you see? like, it's like, I want to abandon church, but actually I really want the church and liturgy and community and Eucharist on a regular basis. I mean, I would certainly say that's the case in in my specific congregation. Um, I think that that's a big part of why, uh, you know, there's always all these millennials are killing whatever articles. I think um, mega churches are one of the things millennials are supposed to be killing. Um, And I think that's part of why, because you, you can't have community with a thousand people. 
You just can't. Like maybe, maybe if from the very get go, you're like the, the church is super disciplined about getting people into to small groups. But even then on that scale, people are going to fall through the cracks. And like one of the big reasons why we go to the church that we go to um, is that we knew another church we were considering was quite large. And we knew that even though they have great programs like that, smaller programs for getting people in a community, we knew we would like fall through the cracks. Just like my husband and I are both introverts. Like we just wouldn't have been great about it. And I think the, the smaller scale um, is super key for that not forcing people to engage, but like saying, Hey, like I, I see you, I notice you've been here. Why didn't you come to this thing? Um, and yeah, I, I'm increasingly very pro smaller churches, like, you know, sub 200 people as a, as an antidote for some of the, the negative sides of like that choice situation that we have. Hmm. Where, where do you feel like, uh, we've asked who we just talked to about this. Maybe it was Brian, um, Zond, uh, but mm. the other day, but we were talking about, um, just his thought on where, or maybe it wasn't Brian. I don't remember Stephen where, on where the church is going, like where kind of more globally you think this yeah. is, this is headed from uh, even in terms of structure, what, what are we going to see? Right. Cause I keep hearing like shrinking church, shrinking church in America. And I guess that's true. It's not necessarily my experience because I'm in a very Christian-y context for the most part, mm-hmm. but, um, where do you think it, it it's going both in terms of structure? I've heard the kind of a polarity argument where you'll have the big, big ones and then the little guys and like house churchy things. Uh, what's your, what's your take? And I'm curious also how much of that, like based on feedback, even from the kind of people that have read your book, um, what, what's your, like your temperature on where things are going? Yeah. I don't know that I can give like any real answer that's based on more than just sort of what I want to have happen. And also, uh, very limited personal observations and experience. Um, definitely the, the shift to the global South thing is happening. Um, an interesting thing that I recently heard about my own denomination is that, um, apparently within the next, I think decade, there will be more members of our Mennonite denomination in Bolivia than in America. Wow. Which is like insane. Um, what, what is your particular Mennonite denomination? Mennonite Church USA. Okay. Okay. Um, the real Mennonites, yes. the true, the true I Anabaptists. Guess. I don't, I don't know that much about it because I'm not, you know, an ethnic Mennonite, and our particular congregation is very unusual in that we only have like five ethnic Mennonites, and the rest of us are converts, and so we're sort of like this oddity that denomination leaders come and like sort of check out from time to time. And they're very curious about, um, but yeah, I, there, there seems to be sort of this increased interest in liturgy as well. Um, but I don't know how much of that is just, you know, the people I read on the internet are into liturgy. So Uh it's hard to say. I, I do think that there'll be maybe increasing clarification, on who is really interested in like following Jesus and who is sort of just a cultural Christian. I think that'll become an increasingly bright dividing line. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I think too, like um, I think people are going to, are caring less and less about uh, like programmatic things. Right. I mean, there, you know, people, 
I think less and less, it seems like uh, people are seeing, I guess, you know, the, the, the value in, in, in the capacity or the, the bandwidth for face-to-face personal interactions, exactly. right? And actually being like being a people in a place, uh, you know, committed to like actual dirt under your feet, neighbors, like people that are really, I, I, I don't know. It just seems like that's that rooted, um, a more sort of rooted faith, rooted community. Uh, maybe it's just me. That's like way more attractive to me now than, than oh, yeah. you like, you know, lasers and fog machines and, and, you know, things like that. Totally. Yeah, totally. hundred percent agree. Um, Bonnie, I would like some fog machines. Those are pretty fog cool. machines are where it's at. I was super into fog machines circa like 2004. Were you? I love that. Yeah. Um, youth with a mission. YWAM came into my school and yeah. they did a thing with fog machines and it was sick. And you did YWAM. Yeah. So they apparently like, I did. They, they, they convinced me. Dang. Today. I don't think that would at all convince me, but I was excited. I don't know. <laughs> did they get... also do like guys that like rip the phone book and stuff? Is it the same, same guys? No, different rip guys. The phone no. book. <laughs> what? Steve, what is that? <laughs> you know, about, like the big, like muscle guys for Jesus, they show up and then like, you know, I don't know that I've seen that for Jesus. Oh, it's for. I've seen it like to advertise your local like Taekwondo gym or something. (laughs) Oh, oh, that was for Jesus. Jesus. Yeah, little did you know. (laughs) If you say so. Body, I wanted to ask uh, just kind of as we as we head towards the finish line here. um, You in the book. uh, Another thing you do is on in every chapter you actually give references. Like check out these five books, ten books, these authors, um, which is great, super helpful. if you were to sum all that up and we obviously have read it, so we kind of know which ones show up in multiple chapters. Right. But in thinking about our, our listeners and outside of the fact that we'd recommend everyone check out a flexible faith, um, the book that we'll link on the, on the podcast. Um, what are other resources in terms of authors, books, um, other podcasts, just resources that, that you recommend to people that are kind of on this journey and want to know more? Sure. Um, well, so the the one that I recommend most often is across. It's okay. Did you hear that noise? Yeah, I just uh-huh. smoke alarm. My house is on fire. Sorry. Oh, okay. Um, the, the one that I recommend most os- often is Across the Spectrum, um, which is by Greg Boyd, who wrote the forward, and Paul Eddy, who's his co-pastor. Um, Across the Spectrum is sort of, it has a similar format to my book, um, where it's, you know, addressing different, uh, similar, not the same list of questions, but similar, um, and then showing some options. The, the two big differences um, well, three, one, it doesn't have like sort of the more personal elements of interviews and that sort of thing. Um, another is that it's only sharing perspectives within evangelicalism. So you're going to get a, a more limited set of options. You're not going to see like stuff from Eastern Orthodoxy, for example, or, or Catholicism. Um, but third, it is more in depth, like instead of having like, you know, 350 words on an option, you're going to have multiple pages. You're going to have like, here are the Bible verses that support this perspective. Here's like some of the history of this viewpoint. Um, and so for a lot of these issues, you can go to that book and do like a deeper dive, um, I very much wrote a flexible faith, wanting it to be something that like a small group can sit down and nobody did any reading in advance and you can get through a chapter in like an hour or two discussion Um, across the spectrum would not work in that format. Um, It's a great book and I I strongly recommend it, Um, but it is different in that way. I I think you nailed it, Bonnie. I mean, that that, that blew my mind. Like see how you 
take these huge church Being history really concepts and in like three pages, you just, it clicked for me, man. It was really helpful. Thank you. Um, the other thing that I would probably most recommend from those resource lists is um, check out the really old stuff, like the patristics. Um, I am by no means an expert on the patristics. Um, so like, you know, the people in the first three, four or 500 years of Christianity. Um, but I put them in there uh, for a couple of reasons. One is that I think a lot of people sort of want to go back and read early church stuff, but don't really know where to begin. Um, which is just like these familiar names and, especially among Protestants, we're not really reading them. And so it's like, I don't know, where should I start with all this stuff they wrote? Um, so that was why I wanted to, like in some, some of them, I even named like a specific chapter in a book, like go read this part. Um, but the patristics are, are great because um, they write short stuff and it's straightforward. And like, they just, they say what they want to say. They write in like, like sometimes three paragraph chapters and then they're bam, they're on to the next topic. Um, they're like maybe 50 page books instead of like 500 page books. Like you're going to get from somebody like Martin Luther or John Calvin. And it's awesome. Like you just read through this short thing. They're not making up weird words. They're not like trying to be complex. They just want to explain it so that everybody understands because they're writing to a world where Christianity is a new weird thing. And so they're trying to like approach their listeners, um, especially like the apologetics one. They're trying to, they're talking to people who don't know what they're talking about and who are, um, you know, assuming the worst. And I think that is super useful increasingly in, in our like, you know, post-Christian context as we're talking about these days. Um, and so their stuff, I think, makes a lot more sense again in a way that maybe it didn't make sense when you're in Europe a hundred years ago and just everybody's a Catholic or whatever the case may be, depending on where you are. Um, so yeah, I strongly recommend checking out those guys. Awesome. Great. Steven? Uh, Bonnie, thank you. Thanks for spending some time with us. Really enjoyed the book. Um, I hope our listeners will check it out. And um, thanks again for talking with us, Stephen. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you, everyone, for listening in. Definitely check out a link to Bonnie's book below. And uh, we'll see you on the next one. Bye-bye.